Welcome back for Bible readings with the Wesley Center. And today I'm going to tell you the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Now the text for today is, I'm going to put my pen down because yesterday I realized I pointed a lot with it and like, so I'm going to put this over there. So I hopefully won't do that as much today. Anyway, the text for today uh, comes from 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 18 through 37, but I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the story than just what that text covers. Uh, so anyway, this is about Elisha and the Shunammite woman, and actually it's about the Shunammite woman, her husband, and their son. And that's actually the whole point of the story, um, is about this woman who, at the beginning of the story, beginning of her appearance here in 2 Kings, she is without child. She, we're told, is a relatively wealthy woman. Her husband's a landowner. They have, uh, they have, I'm presuming, flocks and fields, and they've got servants. And um, she notices this guy, Elisha. Remember, we talked about him yesterday. Not Elijah, that we read about in 1 Kings, but Elisha, who was a student of Elisha, Elijah, and took over from Elijah when the Lord took him to heaven. Um, in a flaming chariot, which is kind of cool. I don't know anybody else who can really claim that God picked them up personally in a flaming chariot. But anyway, so Elisha is traveling back and forth. He lived up on Mount Carmel, and he would go uh, back and forth past Shunem, uh, which is this town about, uh, I think it was, I figured it out earlier, it's about like 33 miles from the area that he lived in. So like if you're going to walk from Chattanooga and you're going to walk somewhere 33 miles, I think that would get you like Dalton, Georgia, um, which it's a lot easier to take a car. Although with everything they're doing on the interstate right now, it might be better off to walk. But anyway, so Elisha is walking back and forth and this Shunammite woman sees him and she befriends him. She comes out and she encourages him to come in and into their household and get a bite to eat. And uh, so he does that and gets in the habit of stopping by there. They become, he becomes friends with this family, uh, with this household, and they give him something to eat every day. So he gets, he starts doing that. And then the Shunammite woman decides that she's gonna talk to her husband and say, you know, we know this man's a holy man. He's a man of God. He's everything that we've seen about him. We, we know this. So I think we should build a little room for him on the top of our house. They had like flat roofs. This is kind of a common thing to do. Uh, build a nice little room for him on the top of our house so that if when he's on his journeys, he can take a break and rest and have a nice little place to rest and eat his meals and get some sleep and then go about his journey. And um, so that's what they do. They, it goes into pretty good detail in the scriptures. So it built him a little room, put a bed in it, and a little table and a chair so that he could, you know, relax and do stuff, you know, work on his taxes, things like that, I guess. Anyway, so, but the point is that they show hospitality to this stranger. Um, it's kind of the idea of my home is your home. Hospitality to the stranger is a really big and ever-present idea in the Old Testament. Um, and it's not something that I think we're probably very good at these days, but in the Old Testament, it's a really big deal. So they give him food and drink. They got, create a place to sleep for him, a, a safe place. He comes under their roof. He come, becomes a part of their household. And as a part of that, they're responsible for him. 
Um, and but we're told that uh, this woman is she's a wealthy woman married to a wealthy husband, but we're told specifically in the text that he's an older man. Um, because Elijah, Elisha wants to do something for these people in return, specifically for the woman, and he asks his servant Gehazi to go and spy on her a little bit and find out what he can do for her. And Gehazi comes back and says, well, you know, her husband is old and, like, she has no children. Well, this, in our day and age, may not sound that important, but in that time, it's a really important thing to know because while her husband might be wealthy, they have no, he has no heir. They have, she has no inheritance because there is no son to inherit the household. Uh, if you remember from like all those other times you've read the Bible, especially Genesis, you remember that that was a big deal for Abram because he had no heir. He was going to leave everything he had, all his flocks, all his household to one of his servants. Um, and so this is a big deal. And it's a big deal for her because without an heir in the household as a widow, um, she would be without any resources. Uh, we have to assume that she's probably kind of older too. Uh, but anyway, so Elisha finds out that she's a wealthy woman, you know, has this older husband and no child. And so he makes this promise to her, says, you're going to have a child. And, and she goes, uh, okay, that's really nice. Don't kid around like that. Um, don't make promises like that if you're not serious. And he goes, no, no, no. Within within a year, you're going to be, it, you know, this this time next year, you're going to have a kid bouncing on your knee, a son specifically, he tells her. Lo and behold, it comes true. Uh, the the word of the prophet uh, is is holds out to be true and she has this child time goes on this is where the story picks up here in chapter 4 at verse 18 that uh, the child grows and he's old enough to be out in the fields with his father and be knocking around uh, i don't know that he's working it my sense from the story is he's kind of under everybody's feet um, but we're told that one day he's out in the field and he comes running up to his father complaining about his head and he's like saying oh dad my head my head the father sends him uh, back to the house and he sits on his mother's lap and it says he sits on his mother's lap all day and then dies. So we're not really sure what happened. Something happened in his head, uh, but he suffered all day with this horrendous headache and then expires. The, we're told in the story that the mother does something interesting. She doesn't seem to tell anybody else in the household. She doesn't seem to tell the father. She takes him upstairs to the little room that they had prepared for the prophet Elijah and lays him out on the bed and then goes and gets one of the servants and basically saddles up their fastest donkey, which I'm not sure, you know, how quickly a donkey can move, but she's in a hurry and she says to the servant, she said, put me on this donkey. Don't let him slow down until we get to Mount Carmel, until we get to the prophet's house. And, um... So that's like, once again, 33 miles. I'm not sure how fast a donkey could get from like Chattanooga to Dalton. It'd be kind of fun to see. Anyway, so they saddle up this donkey and they take off for Mount, Mount Carmel. We're told that in the story that uh, this, the prophet's servant sees them come and runs out to meet them and finds out what's going on, comes back and tells the prophet her son has died. The son that you promised, the son that God gave her has died. And so Elisha, Elisha responds by saying, here, take my staff and I want you to run on ahead and you go and you lay this staff on the boy, like 
so it's like touching his face and everything and the mother shows up and I'm not sure and the text doesn't lead me to suspect that Elisha was planning on going himself I feel like he thought that this would be enough this you know this token of his presence would be enough um, and the mother she stands firm she goes I'm not leaving unless you come with me you I'm either staying here or you're coming with me because I'm not going back to my dead son I guess is what she was thinking so anyway he gets ready and he travels with her and they kind of catch up a little bit to his servant um, and his servant has gotten was just far enough ahead that he could run into the house run up to that room put the staff on the boy and was there long enough to realize that nothing was going to happen nothing was happening and this is here where things happen for Elisha um, because you know, when the woman got to his household, she said to him, she's like, look, did I even ask you for a child? I, I gave you hospitality. I, I treated you as a guest and a member of our household. I gave you food. I gave you a place to sleep. And I didn't ask for anything in return. I didn't ask you for a child, but you made this promise to me, gave me a child. And did you do this just so I could kind of, like we read yesterday, be reminded of my sin? Did you do this just so you could throw things back in my face? Um... And so he's really got to do something now. And we're told that, you know, his, his staff didn't do the trick. His talisman or token of his presence didn't do the trick. So he goes in and he stretches himself out. And, and it's kind of interesting to me. It's almost like uh, uh, Elisha had to stretch beyond what he was used to doing here. Um, but he stretches himself out uh, and prays to the Lord. So he went in and prayed to the Lord, and then he stretched himself out over the child. Uh, makes me think of the psalm for today, which is our psalm for several days here, which is Psalm 143. And he sa it says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. And then later on it says, so my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Elijah has to stretch himself out. Elijah has to rely on the presence of God at this moment to work through him uh, to heal this child. And the good news is that God does respond. When we stretch our hands out, God does respond to us, and Elisha stretches his hands out. The mother stretched her hands out to Elisha, and God responds and heals the child so that he is able to give the son back to the mother. He says, take your son. She said, it says, she came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and then she took her son and went out. Um... The important things in this story that you should remember this the important of importance of hospitality to the stranger hospitality to the stranger being good to people that that you don't know and being good to them whether or not they can give you anything and then also I think a lesson for Elisha here was is it just gonna, is it all about you is it just gonna be about what you can do um, like I said I'm not really sure that he intended on going in the first place he just gave his staff to his servant and sent him on down the road and if uh, the mother hadn't been so insistent I'm not sure he would have gone but he did and he had to stretch himself out beyond what he was prepared to do and he really had to fall back upon the Lord 
So, as you go through these days, remember that uh, hospitality to the stranger is important. Hospitality and being good to people for the sake of being good to them. Being good to them in our sense as Christians for Christ's sake. Um, and then taking faith in the Lord that he will hear our prayers and that uh, when we come to him and stretch our hands out to him, he will respond. So, we'll be back tomorrow. And it is April Fool's Day. And I promise I will not play any pranks on you and like uh, not show up on video. But um, unless you just really don't want me to, that, that would be kind of hurtful. Anyway, have a good evening and we will see you tomorrow.